Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality with an emphasis on BDSM, kink, and poly relationships. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and this week we're going to have part two of my conversation with author and activist Race Bannon. Last week we talked about how societal expectations on men tend to shape them in both positive and negative ways, and also how those expectations can lead into a toxic masculinity, a performed masculinity that isn't necessarily true to the person and who they would like to be if perhaps they were more free to choose their own way. It was a great conversation. I really learned a lot. His perspective on these matters is very valuable to me, and both his experience in the scene And his experience as a person allows me to see the world in a different way. I can be very hidebound to my own views and my own beliefs. And I believe it's very valuable to receive an outside perspective, a very different perspective often, from someone that I have a great deal of respect for. Before we get started, I want to send a very special thank you to our Patreons. You guys really make the show go, and I cannot thank you enough. If you would like to become a Patreon, head over to wickedfellow.com. You can find all of our links there, the show notes are there, the podcast is hosted there, our social media sites are there, and of course you can find links to our adult sites if that's interesting to you. Again, that's wickedfellow.com. In this part of the conversation, we definitely veer into the political realm, because trans rights, gay rights, and this sort of enforced masculinity and the idea of what a real man should be has been such a political football lately. I see the ads, I see this discourse in political environments in ways that it really doesn't belong. I believe that the last thing the government should be doing is telling us how to live our lives on a very personal level. That certainly touches on gay rights and trans rights. But it is also creeping in even more than it used to into this is what a man is. And if you're not this kind of man, then you're no man at all. To me, that's a very big problem, especially when it comes to legislating morality. I do believe people should be free to choose their own morality. The state should have nothing to do with that, especially on this level of personal expression. So we do talk about that quite a bit. We also delve deeper into the way that men are shaped from a very young age and how societal pressures can influence that. So here's part two of my conversation with Race Bannon. I keep hoping we we live in a culture that just lets people be whoever they are, whoever that is, just doesn't really matter. We're not there. I'm not sure we'll be entirely there in my lifetime, but we're better than we were, despite some of the news we hear. I do try not to be as cynical as I naturally am talking about pretending about things. I think one of my concerns is hate and discrimination exist in a balloon that if you press down one part of it, it just comes out on another side. And I genuinely felt like in the 90s, I felt like we had come a long way on just general racism. And then Barack Obama got elected president. And it was very clear that racism hadn't gone away. A large chunk of the society still had deeply racist beliefs, but they had been conditioned that they're not allowed to be racist. They can be xenophobic though, so he's not from America. We're not not angry because he's black, we're angry because he's not from America. And I, I feel like a very similar thing now is happening both with trans and gay, in that I think the discrimination against gay, which I thought had gotten so much better, like we're more progressive now, we're accepting of this. I'm concerned that we had just conditioned people that you're not allowed to be discriminatory against gay people, Ah, we're not discriminatory against gay people. We don't like pedophiles. 
And we've decided that all gay people are pedophiles, so that's why we don't like them. To me, it just seems like this balloon that just keeps getting pushed down. And is it actually getting better? Or are we just browbeating people into shutting up and not saying what they feel openly? So I, I do think it is, if you look at the entire arc, I think things are getting better. I also try to always remember that, I mean, a good example is equating gay men and pedophiles. Good example. Um, that's that's classic right-wing messaging. It is not the majority opinion. Most people know that's complete bullshit. Um, it, it, yes, it lands on some people and, and works. That's the whole nature of propaganda. It, it works. But the vast majority of people don't believe that. So I do think overall, we have a lot of progress. That said, the LGBTQ community right now is definitely more under attack than it was in past years. There's no doubt about that. Trans people in particular are absolutely the targets of the right wing because they have decided that by othering them and blaming them somehow, gay people, queer people, whatever, um, we're able to somehow deflect from our own shortcomings. And that's really all it is. It's, it's all the right wing is doing is saying, you know, look over there so you don't look over here. <laughs> that's really what they're doing. You know, it's classic. And I'm going to use a word I don't use that often. It's classic fascist technique to other people, um, whether it's another race, whether it's a, another ethnicity and lineage, whether it's another economic class, whether it's, you know, gay, queer, trans, whatever, that othering does work. It's a certain kind of propaganda tool that the right wing and fascist leaning people have known for, for a long time. But with all that said, I honestly believe in my heart and in my mind that overall thing much better for everyone. I, see, I never speak for people of color because I'm not of color. I'm a, as white as it gets. I would guess that it, despite the overt racism on some level, it's it's getting better in that realm. I hope people of color may think that's completely wrong, but it feels like at least the issue is there and we're able to call it and look at it and go, that's racist. Something we didn't do enough of once upon a time. Same thing with misogyny. I think we have a very misogynistic society that still wants women barefoot pregnant and in the kitchen, and that's it. So all those isms and all these problems that we have are still with us. I do think overall things are getting better. But yeah, right now, trans people, gay people, people of color, anyone from another country, immigrants, et cetera, they're the othering targets of the right wing. And to some extent, it's working. I, I just hope it doesn't work too well. I want to be optimistic. I'm generally a cynical person by nature. Some things that I have studied, um, I don't know if you subscribe to or believe in at all, the kind of conservative brain theory that, you know, they're actually wired this way, that other is more scary to people of a certain neurological bent than it is to people of a different neurological bent. And, you know, the studies I've read in this are pretty convincing so that it's when you break it down, it's very difficult for them to consider any kind of other as worth taking care of. And it's very easy to demonize the other. And if you are a more liberal left-leaning brain type, then it's very easy for you to welcome the other. You're not so scared of the other. In some ways, that gives me comfort in that if we can ascribe a simple solution to a complicated problem and say they can't help it, there is comfort in that. Whether it's helpful or useful, I don't know. But it does help me a little bit when I'm trying to understand where all this vehement antagonism towards gay people or black people or whatever. In my mind, I'm like, why? Why do you care so much? Why are you staying up at night worrying about this? Just let them be. 
I have a hard time wrestling with that because I'm so not that way. And it's hard for me to even put myself in those shoes and say, why would I care what two other people do in their bedroom? But I know that people do care very much what other people do in their bedroom. So you talked about the conservative mindset. It was described in one article I read that um, the simplest way to look at it is that they are wired to be change averse. They simply do not like change in any way, shape or form. And there are other people that more readily automatically embrace change more. Um, the other factor we know is who you surround yourself with. So th there's a reason why urban America, for the most part, is far more liberal and progressive than rural America. It's because when you're shoved together in an urban environment with a whole bunch of people that are different than you, and you get to know them as human beings, a lot of those stereotypes fall away and you become a lot more accepting, liberal, et cetera. And in rural America, you often don't see anybody except someone just like you over and over and over. So you are change adverse to even having different people in, in your neighborhood or your town or your, your city. I think it's both the factor of being change averse or not and who you surround yourself with. The more isolated, uh, I use rural only because you know, you can isolate much more in a rural environment. Um, it's a lot easier to, to hold on to your, your bigotries and, you know, your biases when you are not confronted with 12 people in the coffee shop who look and act and are, have different origins than you. A valid critique I've seen of people of the liberal mindset like myself is, you know, you guys accuse conservatives of being prejudiced and not liking other people. And yet, how many conservative people do you hang out with? You know, that does hit home. I mean, I... I don't. I don't seek out people of a conservative nature. I do discriminate against them because of their views. I do not want to hang out with them because of their views. And I imagine they don't want to hang out with me because of my views. So it is difficult for me to say you guys are bad because you won't accept other people's views when I don't accept their views. I do get that. I think we both probably believe that we're right. It is hard. You know, I don't have a lot of super conservative friends. I don't seek them out. And I've tried, you know, just on Facebook as one example, I've tried not to just block people if they post pro, you know, conservative memes, if they post pro Trump stuff, it's very tempting to just block that. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see your viewpoints. So, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that specifically because it's no secret to anybody who, who follows me in any way, shape or form that I fall, you know, directly left on the political spectrum. But during the... 2016 election and during those interesting four years, <laughs> um, I only dumped four friends from Facebook out of thousands. And I there were still people that were friends, I'm going to say social friends, who were Trump supporters. And as long as they didn't get nasty with anybody on any of my feeds, as long as they didn't be outright rude, I would usually let them have their their piece, you know, say their piece. That said, there were a few people I had to cut out. One was um, the partner of a friend. It's a gay man was trying to convince me to vote for, you know, who. And I, I finally said to his partner, I said, you know, I have to just block him for a while because I just don't want to yell at him. It's I'm not going to change his mind right now. I know that I'm just not going to go there. So we're not going to hang out. You're not going to see me. I'm going to sort of disconnect for a while. I'm just letting you know. I, I hope he comes around. <laughs> but for right now, I can't. So I'm fine with being in the presence of very conservative people. I am not 
necessarily going to bring them into my inner fold of close friends. That's, we just don't think alike. Because I do think that there's a certain amount of um, difference in values. And I think we pick our friends more based on values than anything. And mm -hmm. so those highly conservative people have different values than I do. They they aren't as accepting. They They tend to be more misogynistic. They tend to be more racist. They tend to be more homophobic. They tend to be more xenophobic. They tend to, whatever it is, they tend to err on that side. And it's not somebody I'm going to hang out with, but would I go to a party with a bunch of them there where we might talk? Sure. Might I um, engage with them on social media? Yes. But that's very different than bringing them into my inner fold of, of close friends because our friends for the most part reflect us. It's not a matter of of just homogenizing and therefore not changing our minds. With our friends, we want to be truly comfortable and be ourselves. You can't really be that when you're arguing with somebody who thinks much of your life is on the wrong end of the spectrum. <laughs> I think there might be a false equivalency, and this is very self-serving coming from the liberal side, but you know, I do believe that politics are values. You know, you're you're expressing your values by who you support politically. And if the person you're supporting politically wants to harm me or the people that I love and care about, like actively harm, then it's very hard for me to be friends with you because by proxy, you're saying this is the way we should go. We should make it harder for people to be trans, gay, whatever. We should cut funding for poor people. We should do these things that harm people that I care about or me directly. So it's hard for you to ask me to be your friend and support you when you are actively supporting someone that wants to harm me. You know, I don't see that same argument from the conservative side. I don't feel like liberals by and large are anti things. You know, we don't tend to take things away from people. We're much more apt to give things to people, uh, aside from money, perhaps. Maybe that's what it all comes down to. We are much more likely to, to please give us some of your money so we can help other people. Yeah, and, and usually, of course, that, you know, we're actually trying to get that money from the, the uber wealthy of which none of those people that were <laughs> that were on, on the right side of the spectrum are or will ever be, in, you know, that wealthy. So I agree with you. I think that we're not trying to take things away. I, I do try to understand the conservative mind. I also, I realize that many people vote because they are surrounded entirely by people that vote. There's a certain kind of group thing that happens. It's kind of like a lot of religious communities. They may not really feel that way, but they're kind of swept up in it because they're they're part of that. And I, I realize that is a, a strong social pressure, especially if that's who you're primarily surrounded by. Let's say I'm going to use, I hate to keep hammering on rural America, but you're in some small town and everyone around you is flying a Trump flag and you don't want to be that person that sticks out. I get that. That's hard. So I know that there are many factors, but I'm very clear that I don't befriend highly conservative people in my intimate circle. I will in my acquaintance circle. And I that's how I define it. I have people that I, colleagues and people that I've interacted with that are far more conservative than I am, including many that are Trump supporters and staunch Republicans. Do I understand them? Really? No, not really. I just can't wrap my head around it sometimes. But the vast majority of them are pretty decent human beings in my acquaintance circle. Otherwise, I won't even let them in my acquaintance circle. Maybe I hope that you know our interactions somehow move them a little bit to the left. I don't care if they end up just squarely in the middle. Of, I'd be happy with that. <laughs> and I think sometimes we, we mistake the left-right vernacular because uh, I was reading a study and they went point by point, issue by issue. And of course, some people 
define themselves as right-wing conservative, staunch Republicans, et cetera. But on certain other issues, they actually score very left. When you ask them issue by issue, not collectively, they, oh yeah, no, people should have that. Oh yeah, I should, you know, my grandmother should be able to have for Medicare. Yeah. Um, things like that, you know, very progressive left issues and they're all for it. So I think it, it gets a little mushy when we just categorize somebody as left and right. I remember when I was, I've very much always been kind of a left and liberal, but at once upon a time, I had a really almost conservative economic mindset. I sort of thought that economics worked more the way conservatives think it does. I don't today, but um, there was a time when I was younger, I did. And so I would have scored kind of more conservative in my economic views once upon a time than I do today. I try to give people the benefit of the doubt, but um, Maya Angelou is right. You know, usually when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. But um, I, I still live in hope. <laughs> I'm curious about that. I've certainly known people in my life that have aged into conservatism. And I wonder if they were always conservative and now they are more free to express it, or if there's literally a shift from, what's that famous quote, a 20-year-old that isn't a liberal doesn't have a heart, and a 50-year-old that isn't a conservative doesn't have a brain, something along those lines where it's okay for you to be follow your heart when you're young, but as you get older, you become more conservative. It hasn't happened to me yet. I keep getting further left, but I've certainly known people that were very liberal and very progressive when they were younger. <laughs> And as they got older, they became more and more uh, conservative, sometimes moving to the far right of being conservative. So I do kind of wonder about the progression of someone's personality in that. Yeah, I, it's if you think about the classic, each generation looks upon the previous generation's music as trash. You know, rock and roll was trash. You know, hip hop will never, ever be a thing. I mean, we could go generation by generation. Mm -hmm. And that older generation always looked back and said, you know, you you know, this is trash and it's no good. And, you know, listen to our good music. And and you can take that same, I'll call it a metaphor of music and apply it to the rest of life. And as people get older, they, they see things behind them changing in ways that don't relate to them and what they like and how they live their lives. And therefore they feel that it's necessary to judge it. And very often they judge it at the ballot box, unfortunately. No, I don't really like the fact that people of all colors are marrying. I'm 90 years old and that's not what happened back in our day. Or I don't really like the fact that we have a little bit more secular society than we once did. So I'm always going to vote with the right because that's where the staunch evangelical religious view is. I do think it's kind of normal as people get older to move a little bit to the right in the political spectrum. I don't think it's an accident, for example, that the Republican Party often goes into retirement communities and spends a lot of time and money in those communities because they know that they can often rally older voters in a way they can't, you know, young to middle-aged voters. So yeah, I don't know what the exact reason is, but I, I see it. And I, I even see it amongst kinksters. You know, I see people that are, as they age, they simply don't want to change as kinksters. So therefore they start judging all the younger ones that are coming up behind them. Sure. And, and I think that's that same tendency of a conservative mindset though, as you get older, it's, it's that intractable nature of, you know, I want to be me and somehow somebody being different negates them being me. It doesn't, but you know, that's, that's how they, they think about it. So I, I think there's something too, as you get older, you tend to move a little bit to the right generally socially and politically. I wonder if the politics of fear work a lot better on a population that feels more vulnerable 
And I imagine that as you know, you kind of age, you do tend to feel more vulnerable about a lot of things. But if we threaten you with people coming to take over your country or changing things that you have long held as your core beliefs, I can see that fear becoming part of that. A timidity associated with getting older might very well factor into that. Yeah, I, I mean, I, it would take a, a sociologist and an anthropologist to study this really well. But I bet there are a whole bunch of factors that go into people on, that are a little bit older skewing perhaps a little bit more right. Um, I don't think it's an accident. It's the young people that are often the ones that are on the vanguard of social justice issues and civil rights issues and, and so many of the things that today we take for granted, but it was really young people that had the energy to do that. It's it's why anytime somebody is an organization or club or anything is 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 staffed entirely with much older people, I say bring some younger people in because you know we're looking at it through very old, old eyes here, and you need a young person's perspective. Because I think in almost every situation, as you get older, you tend to err conservative. Your conservative may not look like right-wing, radical, extreme, fascist-loving kinds of conservatism. That's different. But it can still be conservative. It could still be the 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 older leather man that judges the young pup or the, the rubber guys or somebody, ABDL or any of those things that don't fit that classic leather man paradigm. They they kind of become conservative in their own ways, just because as they get older, they're seeing the people behind them change. And I've, change is hard. Change is hard for a lot of people. And um, I do think some people have it wired into them that they are more change averse than others, whether that is genetically, biologically wired, or if it is they imprinted on not a lot of change when they were younger. I don't know what the reason is, but I do think some people are really change averse and it happens everywhere, including in our community. I love talking with you. I managed to get pretty far afield. Um, I did want to double back on some of the other questions I had in relation to men, performative masculinity, you know, kind of men feeling this very strong pressure to perform a certain way. I've come to believe that this actually makes a very brittle, kind of fragile masculinity. With steels, if you make it too hard, it's very brittle. It can't bend. It just doesn't have that toughness that a steel that has not been tempered quite so hard has. And I think that there's a very close allied principle with guys being shunted into this hyper-masculine, boys don't cry, you have to be tough all the time, if you lack any of the softer characteristics. And I think that this is, again, coupled with, you were talking earlier about misogyny in America. How do you insult a man? You compare him to a woman. You say, you're feminine. You're effeminate. You're not masculine. As if somehow being effeminate is inherently bad. And I feel like it's a long way to go to get guys like that to understand that some of those softer characteristics, some of those characteristics they would see as effeminate are actually very strong. They are very tough. They add a layer of flexibility to what you think of as tough powerful, strong masculinity, being able to talk about your feelings, express your feelings, look into yourself and understand why you feel the way you do. And that, you know, the only crayon in your feelings color box is anger. That is not very healthy. I can't explain why we've decided that things that are effeminate and feminine are bad and soft and things that are masculine are good. It does seem like a very strong throughput in our society. How to change that? Is that possible along the lines of being accepting? Can we recognize that real men, whole men, holistic men, men that are allowed to express more than just anger, they do feel some of the softer, more feminine emotions. Can we do that? I mean, I see men do it, you know, 
very staunchly heterosexual, raised in staunchly heterosexual environments, end up being very fluid with their emotions. And I always say, you know, be the tree that bends in the wind, not the one that's so stiff that it breaks. And that's not my thing. I think that's a Zen thing. And I see a lot of men that are that way. Again, I maybe because I live in an urban bubble sometimes, I do see a lot of men. There's this, there's a heterosexual guy that I have coffee with three, four days a week. And he he just dumps all of his emotional stuff on me. And we talk deeply and I go through his girlfriend problems and his girlfriend successes and this, all these things. And he's very vulnerable and, and he's staunchly heterosexual. We've had this discussion because he's really hot and he lives in a gay neighborhood. So he's always, he's always kind of like, yeah. And so I know that that's possible. I see it happen all the time. And I want to believe that over time, the root cause, which is misogyny of all that, in my opinion, it's real. That's really the root cause. You talk about feminine. Why is that even an insult? It's because women are seen as lesser than men still to this day, unfortunately. Uh, but I, again, I think the arc is going in the right direction. I don't think it's going in the wrong direction. I think we are allowing men to be more themselves. Yeah, there's a lot of BS they have to go through and break through. But I think that we are allowing men much more often to be themselves. And that means vulnerable. That means emotional. That means transparent. That means um, not always perfect. That means not always great at sports. <laughs> that means not always even liking sports. <laughs> I mean, all these tra traditional heterosexual male things you see. So I, I think overall the arc is, is good. And we tend to see these, especially in the media now, you see these super angry, obviously troubled men who are so wrapped up in their image that they explode. And we see this explosion all over social media and on the news. But I think that's what a lot of it is, is it's so pent up, they just literally emotionally and otherwise explode and the anger comes out. But overall, I don't think they're representative of everyone. And I think we're doing, I think society as a whole is making some progress. That is, that is really hopeful. And it, it is exactly those incidents that have kind of pushed me down this line of dealing with problems in the incel community, dealing with problems in communities where you know, men are being recruited almost into really bad places for that camaraderie, for that friendship. I think people might join the Proud Boys, not necessarily because they hold those beliefs, but because a couple of their friends are like, hey, come hang out with us. You'll be our brother. We'll take care of you. You know, it can be a motorcycle gang. It can be anything where you're accepted and you feel like there's people that value you and take care of you. And I think that it can be very easy to shift your belief system to match that cohesive group if they are good to you and if they take care of you and if they welcome you and value you. Oh, well, if that means hating this particular subset of people that I don't hang out with anyway. And I think that's very attractive to a lot of isolated men who don't have independent friendships, who don't have encouragement coming from any other source, no external locus of, you know, validation where the world's telling them that they're not what they should be. But this group is allowing that and welcoming that and encouraging that behavior. I can see that being very seductive for a certain type of man. You know, it's that whole like fraternity concept. It's, it's, you, you join and all of a sudden you have this built-in brotherhood. And I think a lot of these organizations either benignly do that, like a fraternity, for example, they, they, they're not out to get, you know, get, but you have some of these organizations, you mentioned Proud Boys, um, a lot of what they do is classic 
attraction behavior. They reach out, they befriend, they they make these people feel like they're part of the group. All of a sudden, they've got this these bunch of friends, at least they think they are. Um, that's classic cult attraction tactics. And um, the reason is that you're right. They they want to feel some sort of friendship. They want to feel something for someone else. They want to feel like someone's in their corner. And it's very easy for someone to prey on that and um, bring them into Proud Boys, Oath Keepers. I could go, I could name all these groups. But I really believe that that's, that is the, the more negative side of that kind of cult behavior. But other people do it too. I mean, there's a reason, for example, when I'm a gay man, I join a BDSM play club of, you know, 150, 200 guys. So it kind of has that fraternity feel. These We call ourselves brothers. That's actually the word we use very often. It's kind of a built-in family within this club. But that's a much more benign version of all that. But it's still a way of feeling like you belong. And I think a lot of men are more so than women from what I've observed and when I've talked to women. They seem to make friends more easily. That's maybe entirely anecdotal and wrong, but it certainly seems like they do in in you know in my observations. Uh, and especially heterosexual men, I know a lot of them who have very, very few close friends. I'm a fairly introverted person. I like to have a lot of alone time. And even then, I do love that feeling of camaraderie when I am welcomed into a group of people that, you know, like mind, that I respect. That's another big part of it is that if I'm going to be part of a club, I want to respect the people in that club. I want that mutual respect and admiration. You know, I know how attractive that is. You know, I'm, I'm fortunate that the club that I belong to is, by and large, you know, very, very positive and it's not attacking anybody. I understand that draw. You know, I think things like the Elks Club and the Order of the Lodge, I think those are kind of dying away. And I think those did serve very much of that purpose of we're going to get together. We might wear some funny outfits, but we have a brotherhood. We have something. We have a camaraderie. And I think that, you know, that's kind of going away. And I don't see a lot of those social organizations for your, you know, gamer dude that doesn't have a lot of friends, doesn't have a lot of people to reach out to, may not have someone to talk to, may not have someone to share their feelings with. Part of that's because men aren't supposed to have feelings, so don't come to me with your feelings. Part of that is social isolation, and there's a big mix, and I'm, I am trying to explore that on this series, and I want to talk to a lot more people and get more inputs. I know I, my very strong ideas on this. Um, really appreciate talking to you again. It's always a pleasure. You're a fantastic human being, someone I admire a lot. The more I learn about you, the more I admire you. Well, the feeling is mutual. You are a much more optimistic gentleman than I am, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that about you. Katja knows that I'm extraordinarily... Katja, Katja's over you, here, man. Yeah, I want to say hi, but I didn't know if you were still using Yeah, I, I'm I'm just taking up this gentleman's time. Or did you oh, turn on the camera so I can say hi. <laughs> he doesn't use Zoom much. Okay. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so are, much. Are you going out to the slopes? It's only... Yeah, we're heading right back out. Okay, go to the slopes and um, thank you. And I'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good. Thank All right, you. talk to you later. Huh. Bye. Bye. So that wraps up my conversation with Race Bannon. I'm very appreciative of the time that he's given to the show and also his perspective. It's very good for me to have someone else that I admire and respect to bounce ideas off of and ask these questions to so that I'm not speaking from a hypothetical viewpoint all the time. It's great to have another voice on the podcast, and I can't thank him enough for that. Every time I talk to him, I learn a lot, and I'm happy to share that with you guys. If you're interested in learning more about him, I'll post his links in the show notes. I definitely recommend checking out his book, Learning the Ropes, 
And I would like to recommend his Substack, where he writes articles on a wide variety of topics, pretty much anything that he finds interesting. His most recent article is about imposter syndrome, which I found very insightful and thought-provoking. I will be continuing this series on non-toxic masculinity. There's other people that I'd like to bring on to the show and talk to them about their ideas of what masculine behavior is, what it can be, both good and bad. I believe that there's a lot more to the art of manliness than just learning how to chop down a tree and build a log cabin. Good skills to have, but there's a lot more to being a man than just that. As always, consent is king. Take very good care of each other, and I'll see you next week.